This podcast is going to be a complete walkthrough of our time climbing the complete Exum route of the Grand Teton. By the end of it, you're going to be vastly more prepared to undertake it after listening to some of our blunders, but also the things that we did right, which was actually pretty much the whole route. We really didn't have any shenanigans, as Josh likes to call it. And things went pretty dang well, but there were some things that we would have changed too. So have fun, sit back, and get some beta for the Grand Teton. Josh is actually only about 10 feet away. <laughs> but we couldn't figure out how to record this together without doing it on Google Meet. So that's that's where we're at right now. But yeah, dude, we're going to be talking about the freaking full exit. Which, by the way, I didn't realize we were doing until, like, the day of, pretty much. <laughs> Where Josh was like, oh, yeah, we're doing the full XM, not the lower XM route. Why don't you go ahead and explain the difference between the two, actually? Yeah, so I think what you were planning on doing is the upper XM route. And we wanted to do the, the full, Austin and I wanted to do the, the full one. So the, the upper XM is six pitches, just like the lower. And the upper is rated like, I think it's low fifth class up to five, six. And then the lower XM is five, seven and more sustained five, six climbing and a lot more exposure on the lower XM as well. So it's definitely more serious. You have to pitch out everything on the lower XM. Whereas the upper XM, you can do a lot of like soloing, a lot of short roping, a lot of simo climbing. Definitely a big, definitely a bigger objective and more serious. So it comes out to, I don't know if you said it, but 12 total pitches of climbing versus six if you just did the upper. Yeah, combined the two, we got 12 pitches total. There's really three popular routes on the Teton from my understanding, which would be Owen Spaulding, commonly abbreviated as OS. And that is more scrambling it sounds like more class four scrambling to me is that your understanding of it as well yeah the vast majority of it is but then there's uh mid fifth class climbing at the very top the the pitches that we repelled yeah but i mean you'll see trail runners doing that although it's not to, anything to take lightly in my opinion because some of those repels down those were pretty steep so glad we had a real yeah. there I mean, look at, just look at our day from the time that we were at the summit until we got back to the car. Just, if you just look at that portion of the day, mm -hmm. that gives you a little, an idea of how serious and objective it is. It's 13,000 feet tall and it's in the Rockies, So got to worry about yeah. lightning and thunder, not a small feat. Right. That's the other thing is you're doing 12 pitches of climbing at pretty much above 11,000 feet, 12,000 mm -hmm. feet. So. It's not like you're running the mill. I mean, I've never climbed at a crag that's at thousand feet with a backpack full of gear and layers and food and all of that stuff, with the, which is probably for me an, an easy extra 15 pounds or something like that, just just with what I had stuffed in my bag. So, yeah, it was it was super tough. What is so? This is obviously this is a trad climb, it's bolted. Josh led every pitch. And I followed. What would be the pertinent equipment that you would say to bring on something like this if someone was going to go on it? Well, if you I mean if you're if you're going up there to do the XM, you're already someone who's done a lot of trad climbing, done a lot of alpine climbing, so you're going to understand kind of what the standard rack looks like. 
And that is what we brought, except it was slightly beefed up. So we basically brought a standard rack from 0.4 to 3. And then I also brought some doubles from, I think, 0.5, and 0.3, and then down to the little tiny ones, I think all the way down to 0.1. So I think I had a total of 11 cams and then five stoppers. And we didn't come Not when I came back. Which is not what we came back with, which, bring a nut tool. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. So we lost a couple nuts and definitely one cam. Yeah, that the guys over. behind us said they were going to grab. But anyway. Yeah, we... if you're listening, if you're those guys and you're watching this, they probably are because this is a very popular podcast. Right. Well, yeah. So there's, I mean, I brought a standard rack plus some extra in the smaller sizes. And then I brought 14 single slings for extending those and slinging horns, et cetera. Which I think is pretty great what we brought. Yeah. And then we brought a 50 meter Beale Opera rope, which was the skinnier rope. Yeah. And well, it's also a little sh on the shorter end too. We would probably, we would want at 60. Yeah. Yeah. Which you'll hear about a little bit later when we talk about the rappels. It was not long enough for the rappels. It was long enough for all the climbing we pretty much did, I would say. Yeah, yeah. definitely. For the climbing, it was great, but for the rappels, it, it wasn't. Anyway, so rest of the equipment, you know, standard layering system, although Josh forgot his <laughs> layer. And I this, heard about this. This wing layer would have been nice. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely bring your layers up there. We brought pants, shorts, hat, helmet, all of that stuff that you would need at, if, pretty much if you were doing a 14er in Colorado is what I would say, is, is basically what you would, would typically bring. Now, our game plan. Now, we found a couple resources that were super, super critical, and that was, there was some like whiskey, whiskey river or something oh, website. Yeah. I actually personally hated that one. It was way too, you're right. It was just a mo, it was sensory overload with how much information they gave you. And I would frequently get lost in the text. Yeah, it was, it was a little TMI. I think if you had like a ton of time to really go through it, you could kind of decipher what was relevant to you on your route and what wasn't relevant. But generally there was just way too much information because it was covering more than just the upper X or the full XM. The information we found to be most useful was the Steffe bags right up on it. So that's what we used because, because Steph on her report actually got off route a couple of times trying to get on the, the first pitch. And so because of that, it was pretty well documented and we were able to kind of follow the, what she did wrong and get, go just right to it, right to the start of the route. So it that set us off real well for the rest of the day. It was so perfect because Josh and I were talking about this and we said, essentially we there really can't be any mistake blunders on this. We really can't. We're not afforded very many mistakes on this route because of the fact that, A, it's a very super long route. I mean, it was 17 miles over 7,000 feet of vert. You're doing like 2,000 feet of climbing. And a lot of that is flow terrain, even when you're just on the trail, which we'll talk about in a second here. And so we we felt as though we couldn't really make any real big blunders or mistakes. So we really studied Steph Abag's, Abag's report really well. Screenshots, pictures, all of that type of stuff. And we had no problem finding that start, which we thought could be very difficult. So yeah, that's, that's widely regarded the crux of the route is finding it. So glad we knocked that out early. Which is, which is crazy 
because I didn't feel like that was the correct <laughs> as you'll hear in a second here. But I you know it's like maybe that lulled us into this sense of oh, all right, now we just real easy climbing, right? But anyway, Josh and I, how Josh and I got to Teton National Park is obviously we drove from Laramie. So Josh flew in, picked him up. We've done a whole bunch of other stuff before that, but then we drove to the national park. We chilled there for a little bit, and then we tried figuring out where we were going to camp. And we met the visitor center girl, and she says, oh, there's these dispersed places, acting like there's like a million thousand spots, right? And so we roll up there, and there is no place. All of them are taken. And this is a Monday during the week, so God forbid what it would look like on the weekend. Now, what happened next? I think we were just starting to get ready to like set up the tent and then thunderstorm blows in and lightning strikes all over the place, starts pouring down rain while we're, while we're filming your other video for the, for the cold soaked mountain house mail. And then, so we go hunker down inside and kind of wait out the storm and eventually, eventually passes. And then Josh pulls the. You want me to sleep in the thunderstorms with bears around? I think it was like, I'm just like, well, obviously I'm going to sleep in the car because we're in grizzly country. There's a lightning storm outside. There's literally a river in the road behind us from all the rain. And, oh, and we're illegally camping on the side of the road. Yeah. Matter, matter so anyway, <laughs> I told Josh he couldn't sleep in the car with me and I made him sleep in the tent. I'm just kidding. No, I felt bad. So I let Josh sleep in the car with me. But this actually worked out pretty well because what we ended up doing was a little stealth camping. And as it got toward evening, we actually just pulled it to a dispersed camp spot next to all these people. And then just acted like we were the friends of maybe someone that is also camping there that had a tent. And then we just slept in our car. And it was great. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked. Yeah. Yeah, it worked. So that's that's something that you could do. So obviously we had a huge alpine start. We were up by 1230 or something like that. And we were basically starting the route by 145 a.m. And how do you feel about that start? The time? Good. It was a good time. I think it was perfect. I think it was perfect. If we well, I mean, would have made any mistakes, we would have been coming out in the dark. Yeah, I think that's what I was going to say. If... It was a normal Rockies day with the thunderstorms coming in the early afternoon. That would have been a problem. We would have had to, we would have had to bail off the route, but we were keeping track of that. And we had the option of bailing out, you know, before the upper Exum if we needed to, but there was, there was no building thunderstorms in the distance. So we got lucky on that. We just, we totally nailed the weather. It was, it was cooperating with us for sure. Yeah. Because as you'll hear, we ended up summoning around one thirty, actually. So about 12 hours later, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what about it, what it was. So that's actually prime thunderstorm time kind of in the Rockies at, you know, at some point. So maybe people might want to start a little bit earlier than what we did. But for us, it worked out, worked out pretty well. Yeah. The well, one thing. We're doing it in a day, though. See, most people probably aren't going to do it in two or three days. But since, since you're going to start. You know, so early in the morning, you're doing it in a single day. That's kind of what you're, what you're left with. You don't have many other options. Uh, now the trail, the trail, the first few miles of the trail, super breezy, easy coaster, easy trail, no rocks. I even made the comment that this is a really nice trail. <laughs> and then you eventually get to these giant boulder fields. These were huge boulders too. Some of these, 
I can't believe that we did some of these in the dark under headlamp, by the way, when we were coming down. That is something to take note of. Basically, I mean, what, two miles from the saddle? It's boulders and loose rocks and just rocks, stuff like that, I would say. Lots of rocks. Yep. Yeah. Some of those are like big as your apartment here. Yeah, absolutely huge. And you're kind of scaling them and, and going around them and stuff like that. And obviously it's in the dark if you're doing it car to car. So, and I guess if you're camping at that one platform there as well. So that was interesting. So be aware of that's going to be slow. Now we then, we eventually got to the lower saddle, which is where it started to get cold. That was when I'd started layering. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of your first hint of, of, of getting into the cold. And from there, we we traversed over, found the start next to that big, big Karen, and we started pitch number one. So what did you think of pitch number one, Josh? Well, pitch number one is the, is the chimney. And uh, looking at it from below, I thought it was going to be just cruiser and pretty easy, but it felt, felt pretty full on right away. Felt a little more exposed than I was expecting. And the rock is very different than what I'm used to. Very different. Very solid compared to a lot of the Cascades rock. So that was cool, but it was, it was definitely some engaged climbing. You definitely had to pay attention. It wasn't just like cruiser fly up sort of five, six. Don't have to think about it. Definitely had to be careful and pick through it and be very focused on what you're doing. That's a great way to describe it. Not, you had to be engaged, very engaged. And I mm -hmm. think when we, obviously when we start, when we found the start super easily, I think for me, I was like, okay, heck yeah. Like. We're just going to do some easier climbing. It's going to be pretty chill. That is not the case at all, how I felt. Mm -hmm. Now, and to also put it into context, it's freaking cold. So that's, those first few pitches aren't getting any sun. And even when it's 9.30, 10 o'clock, I mean, it's not going to get, they're not getting any sun. And so your hands are, are totally numb going on this rock. The rock's sharp. The rock's cold. So it was... Pitch one was pretty full on right away. So when we got, to, when I got to the top of pitch one, we looked at Josh and Josh looked at me. Oh, and I'll never forget it. And that's when we kind of both kind of just nodded and we're like, okay, this, this is a little bit of a stiff five, six, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So don't let that five, six rating get to you. So now we had pitch two and three. What did you think of those? I don't remember much of pitch two through five, to be honest with you. I just, because pitch or pitch or pitch two through four, that is, because pitch five was so memorable that I'm just kind of like, it's just kind of went blank from, from two to five, but it was, all of it was engaging. I do remember that none of it was just like a, a gimme super easy pitch. And it's because it's exposed because it's cold. Because we're in backpacks, because we're at, you know, 12,000 feet. 100%. So like, and because there isn't like, there's not any tat on the route. There's like maybe a piton here and there. It's not like super clear where to go. So you got to put a lot of energy into route finding. So there's a, just a, a lot to it. Totally. Totally. That's yeah. Again, great point. We're in backpacks. It's cold. It's windy too. Wind was coming. It's exposed. So a lot of stuff that you had to contend with. Yeah. So those first, the lower XM was, was pretty freaking full on. Oh, also crack. There was some crack climbing, stemming. This was, 
a full body movement of climbing that I've never experienced before climbing at a crag. I mean, I was wedging, jamming, cramming everything into a crevice to get up somewhere. And so it was, it was very different, very different climbing to me as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a lot of variety, a little bit of everything on the route. Yeah. How'd you feel belaying? How cold were you? I was shivering, man. I was shivering. I was wearing a puffy jacket, but it was still, I was still cold. That's why I was saying, I wish I brought my, my windbreaker because I could yeah, at least cut the wind. But if I could, if I could go back and probably bring just another insulated layer so I could double up on it because I was, I was definitely cold belay. Yeah. Shivering is the correct word. I was literally shaking. Yeah. Just haven't done that in a while. Yeah, super cold. And we read that one trip report where the guy said that he's been to Denali and other very, very cold places. And he's yeah. like, I have never been as cold as I was on this rock for whatever reason. Yeah. Now, so that led us into the upper Exum route. And when Josh told me that we were getting up to Wall Street, the next pitch was Wall Street. I was pretty much elated at that point. And that was, you know, upper Exum was in full sun, which was great. So it was, it was super warm at that point. And the upper XM, we did not, the only thing we pitched out was properly was a, was the friction pitch is what I believe we identified it as the rest of the climbing. We either, I think Josh talks about, or calls it short roping, Josh short rope me up or Josh would solo, or we did just did some solo moves as well that I wasn't that excited about of myself. What else am I missing about the upper XM? I mean, that's pretty it. Pretty much it. We use, uh, you know, a variety of different techniques to get up there. Like you said, we pitched out that one pitch, did some short roping. We did some short pitching where, you know, we're still pitching it out, but we're, we have like half of the rope stowed and we're only using a portion of the rope uh, because there's a, a lot of ledges and a lot of like walking. It's definitely not all climbing. And so you can do a lot of it pretty efficiently. Um, without pitching out using the entire rope. If if we had done that, it would have slowed us down. There would have been a lot of rope drag. The communication between us would have been more challenging because we'd be further apart. And so we eliminate all those things by staying close together. And I, I do remember a lot of like walking and then there'd be like a boulder problem. And, you know, m maybe that boulder problem like is pretty hard. Like, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's a V1 or a V2, pretty hard relative to the rest of the route. But, you know, you're, there's a trail basically right underneath you. So it just feels like walking and then there are boulder problem. That's more walking and then there are boulder problem. But we didn't talk about the best part. Dude. We didn't talk about the, uh, the black face. Black face, which was pitch the crux five. Yeah, pitch five. Yeah, talk to me about the black face. And I think that was the thing that, so it was the start, finding the start of the route was the number one, like, concern. And then find, like, be climbing the black face was the, the next one because that's the, the crux of the route. And... It delivered. It was awesome. It was, it was definitely stiff for a five, seven. I think it's this pretty sandbagged, but it was super engaging, really exposed, super fun. You, you could just kind of like pick through it, find like just the right weakness, the perfect weakness through the route. But the, you know, had, had thin gear. It was all good gear, but it was thin. Lots of, lots of crimpers, lots of small foothold, uh, but really solid rock, really exposed. It was just super fun. That was definitely, it was definitely my favorite pitch. Even though it was kind of scary, it was definitely my favorite pitch. Yeah, Josh, Josh freaking killed that. I, I was terrified on that thing. Wide open space, 
just was I just wasn't looking down because I, I knew there was so much air underneath me. Pretty crazy. So and then when I got up to the top, I was like, dude, I can't believe you led that. <laughs> I just can't believe it. So Josh did a, a really, really good job. And yeah, that was one thing too about the more technical climbing on this route. Man, there was always such really for the most part, there was really big juggy holds, I kind of thought. I never really had to crimp too much. Never I always was telling Josh, as long as you I got a good foot and I would go up on my foot when I didn't see any holds, all of a sudden you just reach for one and boom, there it was. It was usually a pretty bomber hold and I, that was really cool about it too. Yeah, I think generally the entire route was just like, it was very solid and you always had a hold where you needed it. I think that's those sorts of yeah. things kind of make it, you know, what it is, a, a well-known North American classic climb. Mm-hmm. That's because it's just so good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We summited then at about one thirty. And when we got up there, we met two other guys that actually knew where the two rappels were going down Owen Spaulding. And so we decided we wanted to stick with them because we had bait on where they were, uh, where the wraps were. But, you know, it's always better to go with someone that obviously knows yeah. how, to, how to get there and get it down. We're going to go a lot faster. We also met the gentleman that has been setting the FKTs all over the world <laughs> at Denali and and Hood, I don't even remember his name, actually, but he was just training for the Teton. So I think he's going to try to attempt that very soon. So first wrap that we have off the summit was super easy. No problem at all. We used our 50-meter rope. No problem. By the way, the wraps are in great condition. The, I hear the, the National Forest Service goes up there and kind of maintains them. So that they were really good. We get to the second and we had talked with these gentlemen before and they were like, dude, your 50 meter rope is not going to make it to the end of this rappel. So we, they left their rope there, waited for us and we wrapped down that. No problem. How, how long of a rope would you say you would need for that? Yeah. A 60 meter rope would do it, but we knew that our 50 wasn't going to work from the beginning. Yeah. That's just the rope we had. It's either that or use a, you know, the 10.8. But it would have been fine had we had we not had that because we could just do could do a reapshire or whatever. There's there's definitely a, always a way, but you might as well. There's there's somebody down there who's willing to let you use the rope. You might as well use it. This little paper thin green rope that I was like, oh my man, you're telling me it was that was a pretty exposed wrap too. Yeah, it was fine. Just another day, just another day at the job for Josh. Yeah. Let's talk about the the descent after the two wraps, because essentially I kind of thought that we would be, you know, down to the saddle in an hour or something like that. And it actually took significantly longer to get to the saddle than what I thought it was. How would you describe the descent after that second rappel? And give me your quote that you said. I don't know. I I remember being involved. I don't remember what the quote was, but it was definitely involved. It was definitely technical, definitely like taxing. It's all, there's a lot of class four down scrambling and a lot of like loose talents to descend. So it's definitely not trivial. You're, you're engaged the whole time. So, I mean, you're pretty, you're very engaged from the time you step foot on the route all the way until you get back down to the saddle. And then you get a little bit of a break, but then you're in the bullet field. So it's just like 100%. the only time you're not engaged is when you're on the trail down and to the lakes. Four miles back down to the lake. Yeah. That, it, yeah. Great point. Yeah, you are literally mentally engaged from the time you step on that freaking first pitch to all the way down to that lower saddle. But then, not 
you know, you don't have to be engaged to the point of fearing for your safety. After the saddle, it's more of just mentally crushing boulders that go so slow that you're trying to scramble over. But yeah, what you said, Josh, was there was this fourth class move on the down climb. You're like, God, I just wish we would stop having a fourth class move or something like that, you said. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I know, man. Like every time you thought it was going to be done, you're just like, God, I got to do another kind of little spicy move here every single time until you got down to that lower saddle. So don't, don't let up there. Yeah. Then, so then we had giant boulder field to recross again. And eventually we ended up finishing. Was it, it was right before 8 PM, I believe. I think it was seven fifty. Yeah. Or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. About right. Yeah. So we did an 18 hour day, just as Chad said on the video that Josh was just before <laughs> 18 hours and an 18 hour day. And yeah, how did you how did you feel at the end of that whole thing? Maybe not exactly at the end, but maybe like the next day when you actually had good sleep. What what did you think about the whole thing? Well, man, I felt I felt pretty good. I mean, I, generally, I felt and I knew this going in that I was going to feel really good about accomplishing that because it's a it's a big objective. It's a huge day. It's a grade four. We're doing it car to car. We've never done it before. You know, we're flying in from another state, not familiar with the rock, not familiar with the, the mountains, you know, having to deal with the, the time crunch or the thunder, lightning and all that. So I was very psyched to be able to to pull that off without any, you know, problems happening. There was, we didn't get lost. You know, there was no drama. We just knocked it out. So that's kind of like the overwhelming feeling that I felt afterwards. As far as like physically, it was, it was pretty good. I mean, I did a grade four, you know, the weekend before and I did a grade four the weekend before that as well. So I definitely felt like physically ready for it. And that I kind of, that was kind of confirmed doing it because I feel, you know, pretty good, you know, the next day after doing it. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah. I mean, definitely. We kind of talked about it before we went on the route, which was, you were like, oh, I'm a pretty stoked, dude. This is going to be like a big day for you. And I definitely felt as though that it, has been a breakthrough for my climbing. Like this was the most significant, this was the hardest climbing that I've done just consecutively with a pack at altitude, big day, grade four day, mileage, down climb, wraps. I mean, it like literally had everything. And our favorite quote was like, at by the end of it, you felt like you were wrestling a slightly weaker man for the entire day. And that's just kind of how it felt. And you were just kind of that low level fatigue. But yeah, I felt really good, man. And was there was no shenanigans with this josh and i did a a route in in el dorado candy (laughs) called icarus (laughs) and we were before we go up there i'm like how much water should i bring josh's like well it's gonna be three pitches kind of a short of approach dude we're out there for how many hours i don't even know how many hours we did i don't know like seven pitches we kind of got off route we wrapped oh we did anyway it was it was a big day there was a lot of shenanigans and going into this one we did our research we freaking nailed it. Josh crushed the leads and I just hung in there and, you know, it was, it was a great day, dude. It was, it was my first Alpine climb and, and something I want to do more of for sure. Yeah. It was a good shakedown. Good. It was good prep for the, for the grand mm-hmm. and uh, definitely way more shenanigans. Yeah. Way more shenanigans, which again, we said we, you can't really have if you're doing a car to car in this and you're trying to beat thunderstorms and or get back before dark. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. You can't really have that. So what's the next Alpine objective? What is the next Alpine objective? Well, 
this coming weekend, Longs, Longs Peak. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we're going to, so Josh is visiting me obviously. And so we're going to go meet up with some people and do, we're going to go mob on Longs Peak. Five yeah, deep. Five of us. Yeah. Five deep bros. That's going to be just a friggin' huge mob. So yeah, that's going to be cool. In the 14 or so. Yeah. Any closing remarks on this? On the, on the grand? The, the thing that popped into my head was when we started, how ambitious our plan was. We were going to do the Grand. We were going to do Owen. We were going to do Moran. And then we were going to go do Gannett. Uh, and we were, yeah. And we were even talking about like, you know, what are we going to do with the leftover time after we have all that? But we ended up just scaling it down a lot just because, I mean, we just didn't feel like it. Just didn't sound fun. Just, just didn't feel like it. Plus the weather yeah. over there was sucky too. Yeah. But, dude, after an 18-hour day of climbing, I didn't want to see a rock in the next 24 hours for goddamn sure. I mean, I did not (laughs) want to see any rock. And we didn't. We just went to a coffee shop in Jackson and did social media work and then drove for six and a half hours the next day. But, yeah, we got on some rock today, but it was way more chill. (laughs) No backpack wearing either. 